Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, again we bow with you to you with thankful hearts for the privilege that we have to call you our Father, our God. We thank you, Father, that we can come to you knowing that you care about your people, that you have saved us from our sins, that you have brought us together to teach us truth. And we pray, Father, that as we study your word this day, that your spirit might guide us into truth and give us understanding so that we might rightly apply it to our life. We pray, Father, for the salvation of sinners wherever the gospel is proclaimed this day. We thank you, Father, that you have promised that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish your purpose. We pray for those that are unable to be with us today. We pray that you would be with those that are sick and need your healing hand upon their body. We think of Ashley and her family, and we pray, Father, that you would minister to them and strengthen them and to bring them back to us quickly. Pray that you would be with her uncle during this time of need. Comfort him, Father, as he prepares to go to glory. We pray, Father, for others who are away and need your healing hand upon their body. We pray for Brother T.J. Mullins as he prepares this coming week for his surgery and that all would go well as it did before, that you would give him a quick recovery. We also pray for those, Father, who are, are out of town. We ask that your blessings would be upon them as far as safety is concerned and bring them back to us quickly. We ask, Father, that you would minister to those who have needs who have not spoken of those needs, but, Father, you know them, and we ask that you would minister to their lives. We again ask, Father, that you would be merciful and gracious to us this day as we seek to understand your marvelous mercy and grace that has been bestowed upon us and how you have forgiven us from all of our sins and how we likewise should have the same spirit of forgiveness toward others. Bless our time together and teach us your truth. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and for his sake. Amen. Turn with me again to Mark chapter 11 and we'll read two verses, verses 25 and 26, as we continue our study on the subject of prayer and praying in faith. We would have included these two verses last week, but I knew the sermon would be rather lengthy, so I saved them for this week. Mark 11, verse 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive either, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now last week we saw that Jesus began to address the subject of prayer and faith and how prayer must be done by faith in God. And this, of course, was of utmost importance for the apostles because they were about to face the greatest trials of their life because Jesus was about to go to the cross, suffer, die, rise again, but then he would ascend to the Father so they would be without their, his physical presence. They had not known that for the past three years. And they needed to know that he would still be with them by his spirit. 
and that He would be sitting at the right hand of the Father there interceding on their behalf, giving them the strength, empowering them to be able to do the work that He had called them to do. So they would learn how important it is to pray by faith. And in order to receive all of God's promises as His apostles, they needed to understand their work of building upon the foundation that Jesus had laid. They needed to remember what Jesus had taught them on the Sermon of the Mount at the very beginning of His ministry there in chapter 7. Those words that He spoke to them in verse 7 through 11 ask, And it will be given to you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who finds, and and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, good things to those who ask Him? So they needed to understand that what they must do is ask. They must spend much time in prayer. It was their responsibility to ask. Just as we looked at last week, James says, you do not have why. Because you do not ask. So we know that our prayers must be prayers that are asking God, but also they must be in accordance to God's will as we looked at last week. We do not come to Jesus Christ asking for things out of greed, out of a selfish heart. But we humbly come before Jesus praying that He will meet our needs that the Father already knows, praying according to His will, not our will, praying that He would be glorified in whatever He chooses to do through our prayer life. It is true that no good thing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly, but God promises are qualified, and we must understand that. They are not open-ended. They have conditions with it. And our Father in heaven who is all-wise, all-knowing, gracious to His children gives His children exactly what they need when they need it. And we need to understand that. He knows when we need it. And as we looked at last week, there's sometimes that God will tell us, no, He's not going to give it to us. Sometimes He will tell us that we must wait, and other times He will quickly and readily give it to us. So we must understand those truths pertaining to prayer. So our Father gives us all good things. Now, in John's Gospel, Jesus also stressed this truth in the upper room. Of course, as he was in the upper room, he was preparing to go to the cross. But before he goes to the cross, he gives them this important message pertaining to prayer and how important it was for them to ask. Look at some of the things that Jesus says to them there in the upper room in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. He says, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
and then jump over to chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And then move on over to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then in chapter 16, beginning with verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most surely, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. So we see quite clearly that Jesus says time and time and time again, ask, ask in my name, ask in the will of the Father, and I will provide these things for you. So it's very clear that as believers, we are exhorted to persistently and passionately pray and ask of God. Our prayers must acknowledge That God's will is greater, purer, wiser, more generous, more gracious, more merciful than anything that we could ever imagine. And He is a gracious God to His children. Now with that as a review of what we looked at last week, I want us to move forward to verse 25 and 26 and see that there's another qualification given concerning the prayer, prayers that we pray. Our prayers, if they are going to be heard and answered, must qualify this condition that he gives us here in these two verses in Mark 11, verse 25 and 26. When he says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, Forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Christians are to have a forgiven spirit. Back in October, Brant Jean, 18 years old, told the court that despite what Officer Amber Geiger had done and taken from his family that if she was truly sorrowful for what she had done, then he forgave her and wanted the best for her. She had mistakenly shot his brother thinking she was in her own apartment. Brant asked the judge, I don't know if it's possible But can I give her a hug, please? After telling Geiger that his main desire for her was not to go to jail, 
but for her to give her life to Jesus Christ. This act of forgiveness, as you know, made national news. Jesus often spoke about forgiveness to his followers. That as a true believer, one must forgive those who has sinned against him. And how this attitude gives a Christian the assurance that God has forgiven him. And Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount, as we looked at just a moment ago, pointing out that if one will not forgive others, then he has no reason to believe that God has forgiven him. The Lord's Prayer states, Forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So Jesus makes it perfectly clear that if you forgive others of their sins against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father won't forgive you your sins. A man came up to John Wesley in Georgia after he had preached a sermon And he said to Wesley, I never forgive. Wesley replied, I hope you never sin. Jesus gave a parable there in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 25 about a servant who owed an enormous debt. A debt that he could not pay. If we were looking at today's amount of money, we would say probably like $20 million. Now remember, this is a slave that owes this amount of money, a servant. So in other words, there's no way he can pay this amount about. And he comes before the king and the king demands that he pays this amount or else he and his family will be put into prison, to debtor prison. Well, the servant, of course, cries out to the king and he begs and he pleads to the king to forgive him the debt. And we see that the king graciously said that he would forgive and dismiss the debt. But then what does that servant, that slave do? Well, he goes out and he finds a fellow servant. Now, first we see that it was a king and a servant. Now we're coming to where it's a servant and a servant. They're on the same level. Before, they were not on the same level. And this other servant who's a friend of his owes him $20. And what does he do? He takes this fellow servant and it says in the scripture that he takes him by the throat. He doesn't show any grace whatsoever toward him. And he demands this servant to pay him back this $20, which he, of course, would be able to pay back to him, but he cannot pay it back to him on this particular occasion because he doesn't have the money. And he does the same thing. He asks, give me some time so that I might pay it back to you. But he doesn't. And he has this man thrown into prison. Of course, when the king heard this, He had the servant brought before him. And notice what he says to him there beginning in verse 32. 
Then his master, or king, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the death because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, who as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers, until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his transgression. So we see that Jesus brings the threat of what? Eternal punishment to bear on any in order to assist them in their forgiveness of others. As I've often said from the pulpit, a person of grace must be a gracious person. A person of grace must be a gracious person. Jesus told this parable, why? If you look back, you see that Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often should we forgive our brother who sins against me? And Jesus said to him, or he said, forgive him up to seven times. So so Peter thought that was pretty generous. If I give him up to seven times, that's showing him a lot of grace. What was Jesus' reply? Jesus replies, 70 times 7. And what he was pointing out, this should be the spirit of a child of God. In other words, he wasn't saying 490 times. No, he was saying you continue to forgive every time he asks you to forgive. Of course, this is a most challenging teaching, isn't it? I mean, it isn't easy to forgive. It is so hard for the natural man, one without Christ, to truly forgive someone who has hurt him. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us can we truly forgive another person who has done harm to us. Only by His power are we able to put it behind us. Having access to this power as Christians... We are able to forgive someone who has sinned against us, even if it may be the worst sin against us. As Paul says, what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you understand that to forgive someone is to make a certain commitment? You are saying, I will not hold your sin against you again. See, forgiveness is not a feeling. Now, now feelings may come as a result of forgiving someone, but uh, forgiveness is not feelings. Forgiveness is a promise. It is saying, I refuse to remember your sin. I refuse to charge you with it anymore. Now, why can we say this? Because if God has forgiven us our sin, we must forgive others of the sins that they commit to us. Now, T. 
teaching on forgiveness can be a little confusing because there's different ideas when we come to this particular subject. Christians must be ready to forgive anyone who truly repents of their sin and asks for forgiveness. But we aren't required to offer forgiveness to an unrepentant sinner. There's some that hold to the idea that we, we should just extend forgiveness to anyone, anytime, even if they don't repent. I don't hold to that particular position because that's not the way God deals with sinners. Now, there's certain conditions. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says. There is our obligation to forgive others who sin against us. If such people confess their sin and repent, it is our moral obligation to forgive. However, if they don't repent, we are not required to forgive. We may forgive, as Jesus did for those who killed Him. But in doing that, Jesus did not command that we must always forgive those who do not repent. You can go to those who have wronged you and tell them that they have offended you. If they repent, you have won them. But you are not called to give, forgive if they do not repent. You are not allowed to be bitter or vindictive. You have to be loving, caring, concerned, and compassionate. But you do not have to forgive. You can still talk about it and seek public vindication. So we have to understand that. Because, see, that's the same way God deals with sinners. God does not forgive a sinner until what? Until they come to Him and they repent of their sins. Now, again, as He points out there, as Jesus was on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. But He does not go on and say this is a command that we likewise do the same way. J. Adams says, Repentance is a prerequisite for forgiving, forgiveness. Because until one rethinks his attitude and actions, bringing them into conformity to God's, so he thinks like him. There is no possibility for the change of lifestyle implied in the plea, forgive me. Neither reconciliation nor communication with God and neighbor is possible. He continues and says, confession is inseparable length with repentance. It is the outward expression to others of the inward admission to one that one was wronged in thought, word, attitude, or deed. It is a verbal admission of wrongdoing made in the presence of the wronged party. So we need to understand that when we deal with the subject of repentance and forgiveness. Jesus gave another parable there in Luke chapter 17. Turn with me to that particular parable. Luke chapter 17 in verse 7 through 10. Jesus said, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, When he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, 
and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he say that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you were commanded, saying, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. Now, Jay Adams uses this particular parable and gives this illustration. He says, when a Christian says, but I don't feel like forgiving, I can't forgive him. He said, point to this parable. Here's a slave who worked in the hot Palestinian sun all day long, and he comes in, he's tired, he's thirsty, he's hungry, he's sweaty, he's smelly. Does his master consider those things and does he say to him, go take a shower and come get something to eat? No, he doesn't do that, does he? No, instead he says, go take off those sweaty clothes, get cleaned up and come into the kitchen and fix my dinner. And don't take a single bite of my food until you have finished everything. So there he is, the servant in the kitchen. He's mixing together the mashed potatoes. He's cooking the beans. He's cooking the roast. He's cooking the cornbread. His stomach is groaning as he smells all of this delicious food. His taste buds are almost going crazy. But he doesn't touch the food because he knows he's a servant and his master has given him an order to do. So there he goes and serves his master and he stands there with the towel over his arm waiting on his master to finish toying in the peas and the potatoes. You got the picture? I mean, everything in the slave is saying, eat it yourself. Forget your master. But he can't. He must obey his master. So he waits upon his master to finish eating. Against all of his feelings, his body is telling him, eat the food. But he doesn't, because he must obey his master. He cannot say, if I feel like it, I'll obey. And that's the point that Jesus is making. That even then the servant hasn't done anything exceptional He's only done what he is supposed to do as a slave, as a servant. So you and I cannot beg off from God's commandment regarding forgiveness by simply saying, when I get more faith, I'll forgive him. Or by saying, when I feel like it, I'll forgive him. No. We must do what Christ has commanded us to do. And Christ points out that forgiveness is required of his children. No exception. Now this forgiveness is not that of eternal forgiveness. God is the only one that can give eternal forgiveness that accompanies salvation but is what we call relational forgiveness. Sins that are part of our everyday life. We sin against one another every day. 
And such sin disturbs our fellowship and enjoyment with our brothers and sisters, but also with the Lord Himself. I mean, try praying while you're in an unforgiving attitude against another believer is self-defeating. It's not going to happen. That's what Jesus tells us in the passage, that God is not going to hear our prayers. God's not going to answer our prayers. We're told that also in Psalms. When the writer of Psalms says in 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, I don't think many people believe this. Because there's so many people that continue to hold a grudge and are even hateful to other believers and they carry on as if they have the greatest, most wonderful relationship with the Lord. I can't believe that because the Lord says you cannot have that kind of relationship with Him if you hold a grudge and are hateful to your brother in Christ. But God's Word is clear that such a person's prayer will not be heard. Now earlier, we looked at Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35, and we see that Jesus teaches that one cannot accept the full gracious forgiveness of God and then be unforgiving to another brother who's repentant. Of course, we live in a world that is full of sin. It's full of bitterness. It's full of hatred. Wickedness is prevailing in our day. We never know when it may touch us personally in some way. I mean, believers have had loved ones killed by drunk drivers, children overdose on drugs sold by some drug dealer, innocent children killed by car thieves, children kidnapped, children raped, children abused. I mean, it's as if we are living in the dark ages again. And in the midst of all of this, what does Jesus tell us? He tells us to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate you. In Luke 6, 27. I mean, we are faced with a choice to love or to hate. To forgive or To condemn. To seek reconciliation or retribution. This is the world in which we are to plant the temple of God. And it's a place of faith in Jesus Christ. A place of prayer. A place of forgiveness. And Jesus is telling us what we must do. And not to doubt in our heart, but to believe God's promises. We are to pray in faith in God. And then he tells us that we must have a forgiving spirit. Now, that's not some challenging option. Loving our neighbor is not some nice alternative. Worshiping God is not an alternative. I mean, these are indispensable marks of being a true temple of God. I mean, how important is it 
Well, the Savior says that forgiveness of our sins, getting to heaven, not going to hell, hangs upon whether we have this kind of spirit, a forgiving spirit. How can you be certain that God has forgiven you of your sins? How can you know without a shadow of doubt that God has forgiven you of all of your sins if you refuse to forgive another? Of course, we may all plead a a special case. I mean, the unique case where we think, now God, you understand why I cannot forgive that particular person. I mean, you think to yourself, every other case, Lord, I do forgive. I forgive my husband. I forgive my children. I forgive that person I work with. But Lord, you know my situation. You know that one case that I cannot forgive. He knows why I cannot forgive that person. He knows what they've done to me. But if I understand the teaching of the New Testament correctly, there are no exceptions. And it's in those tough cases that we're being tested. Being tested to see whether or not we truly have a forgiving spirit. None of us have been hung on a cross and crucified. Now whether we are full of of the wonder and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiving us our sins, or whether God's immense mercy brought with the blood of the Redeemer is something we don't really esteem. If we continue to ignore God's command and withhold forgiveness, then we give evidence of being a lost man, not a saved we give evidence of not understanding the grace of God. A pastor shared how a man came into his office and shared how another individual had offended him. And the pastor confronted him with his own unwillingness to forgive how he had an unforgiving spirit and and he continued to press this attitude upon him. And finally the man became so, so frustrated that he said, you want to know how I really feel? I wish he was dead. He was exposed. Exposed to his real heart condition. How many times have we not loved our enemies as Christ has commanded us to? Christ teaches us that we must learn how to deal with our enemies. Our flesh must be forced to submit to the Word of God. When someone curses us, our flesh wants to do what? Our flesh wants to curse them back, does it not? When someone strikes us on the cheek, we don't want to turn the other cheek. 
We want to strike them back. If someone harms us, we don't want them not to be harmed. We want them to be repaid. We want them to suffer as much as we have suffered. That's often our spirit because, see, that's the flesh raising up that must be put to death. This Friday I shared with some of you we had to carry mom down to Hattiesburg to get some serum made for her eye drops. And we spent all day. And then we had to go up to Laurel, come back. We finally got away about 6 o'clock heading back. And I needed some gas. I pulled into the gas station. There was a line of cars, and, and ladies pulls up to the gas pump. She gets out of her vehicle and goes into the store. I bet she was in there five minutes. I said, what in the world could this lady be doing in that store? And, of course, there was everybody lined up everywhere because gas was for a dollar, I mean, two dollars and one cents. I looked for a deal. And I'm sitting there, I said, I might as well go on down there to the next place because it was 206. That's only five cents more. And I start figuring up in my head, gallon so much, how much will I save us? Stay here. And finally she comes out. I said, well, here she comes. So I don't have to wait a whole much longer. She fills her car up and she goes back into the store. I'm thinking about that. Oh, come on. And boy, am I complaining. And of course, my wife's saying, I think the Lord is just wanting to teach you patience. Oh, don't you love your wives when they say that? And I thought to myself, well, the reason this is all going on because you're praying that I'm having patience and this is why the Lord's bringing it about. She comes back out, finally gets in her car. And I'm saying, why isn't she moving? Is she reading a book? And Lawanda says, can't you see? Her car won't crank. Of course, by this time, I got two cars behind me waiting to get to the same pump. We're sitting there, and you could see every time you turn, her lights were dim, went and cranked. Kept on, and I kept there and said, now, what should I do? Can I just put, I told Lawanda, I'm going to get out, and I'm just going to go push her out of the way. You can't do that. I said, well, she's got to move. She's got to get out of her way. She's got to do something. She just can't sit here all day long. And after about... Five more minutes, finally, her vehicle cranks, and she pulls off. And what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is every single day we face problems. Why? Because we have to deal with people. Due to people, we we get upset. We get upset with how people act. A lot of times we don't get upset with ourselves, how we act, but we get upset with how they act. Now the question is, how do we respond to what they do? Do we respond like them or do we respond like Christ? Most time I fail the test. And I'm not proud to admit that. But it's the learning lesson that we have to learn. We must learn as forgiving people to forgive others and that God will enable His children to forgive True biblical God-honoring forgiveness is possible only for those who themselves have been the subject of God's forgiveness. Only believers can obey the commandment that is given there in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind... 
Forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. That's what we must keep in mind. Our forgiveness must flow from the knowledge that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins. You can force a child to apologize to another child. But you cannot make them truly repent and confess of their sinful act. That's why they usually hang their head and mumble... Well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have taken that toy from... I mean, they're not repentant. And they're only apologizing because they know if they don't apologize, what's going to happen to them, right? But we have to teach them the difference. It's obvious that those who have never experienced forgiveness and reconciliation can never truly forgive others. This is why for an unbeliever, forgiveness becomes simply an apology. As Christians, we must confront offenders about his sin. We must rebuke them for their sins. That's what we're told there in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go to him and show him your fault. We must go to them. Now notice it said your brother, so it's a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ that you're confronting and that you're showing the offense and rebuking them and endeavor in a loving biblical manner to induce them to confess the wrong that they have done and to turn from the wrong so that the fellowship might be restored. We must not accept excuses for sins against us but we must call them to repentance. As Christians, we must look at forgiveness differently from the world. The world does not understand true forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is in our forgiveness to others. He enables us to understand biblical forgiveness and encourages us in seeking and granting it. John Murray points out, That the sin we forgive is not sin against God. Only He can forgive that. But are those injured injuries that are against us. Now, of course, both is sin. It is a sin against us and it's a sin against God. But what we have to understand is that there's the vertical relationship as well as the horizontal relationship. The vertical relationship is us and God. The horizontal is us and our fellow man. And until an unbeliever in repentance turns to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and receives judicial forgiveness from God, at the best a non-believer can be forgiven only on that horizontal dimension by man. But in reality, that horizontal forgiveness, in one sense, is virtually useless. I mean, what deal is it to be forgiven by me when he's not forgiven by God? Being forgiven by me does not bring him salvation. It's only by God that will bring him salvation. And he may even use it to confirm himself in rejecting God's Word. You may say, well now, that I've made everything right with Thomas, 
that I'm okay. And thinking that he's okay with God as well. See, we cannot forgive sin against God. Only God can do that. Not even the church corporately can forgive sin. Even though the Roman Catholic Church thinks they can, they can't. Only God is able to forgive sin. And of course, the Lord's Prayer teaches us forgive our debtors as we forgive, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. I heard a story of a, a certain doctor in England who had treated many poor people who could not pay him. And before his death, he recorded in his book this large number of people who were unable to pay him by writing across their name, forgiven. After his death, his widow attempted to collect from these poor people. She even went to court and argued her case. And the judge said, let me see the book. And he took the book and he looked at the book. And as he looked at the book, he, he, he asked, whose handwriting is this over these people's name? And the widow agreed that it was her husband's. And the judge said, there isn't a judge in England that would change the fact what your husband has forgave is forgiven. Now that's in a human relationship. How much greater is between a God and man relationship? I forgive you. Spoken with the lips must be backed up with a genuine inner desire to forgive. Jesus warns that a Christian must forgive from his heart. In other words, it must be genuine. A desire to forgive must be grounded in the desire to please our Heavenly Father, to please our Savior by obeying His command to forgive others. Our will must be obedient to God's Word and Spirit. So those three words, I forgive you, are words in one sense that are great power and will bring much peace when obeyed. Many of you have heard the story and life of Corey Ten Boom. She shared this experience. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray coat, a brown felt hat clutched in his hands. People were beginning to file out of the basement where I had just spoken, moving row after row through the wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. I had come to Holland to defeat Germany with the message of God's forgiveness. It was the truth. They needed most to hear that bitter, bombed-out land And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from Hollander's mind, I liken to think that's where forgiveness of sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the depths of the ocean, gone forever. 
to solemn face, stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after I talked in Germany in 1947. People stood up silently and in silence collect their wrappings. In silence they left the room and that's when I saw him. Walking his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visor cap with the skull and bone crossbones. It came all back to me rushing into my mind, the huge room with the harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the room, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. We had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at the concentration camp where we were sent. Now, he was in line in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know, as you have said, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glippy of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. How could he remember one prison among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was, it was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captures and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravenbach in your talk. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I whose sins had to be forgiven every day and would not. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking It would not have been many seconds that I stood in front of him, his hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men's trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. 
I still stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprained into our joined hand, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hand. The former God guard, the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of all situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that mercy and, and terrible thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they did not. If there's one thing I've learned at the age of 80 years of age, it's that I cannot store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. That's the Christian life. We are able to draw the supplies of grace that we need from God each day. We cannot store them up. That's why we must go to Him each and every day and seek forgiveness of which He will give and strength of which He will give so that we can forgive others. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for such grace 
that has been shown to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to forgive his people from their sins. Forgive us, Father, for the many times that we have not been like Christ, when we have been hard-hearted, when we have been stubborn, when we have been callous, work in our lives, Father. If there's any individual that we need to go to, may we be obedient and do what your word commands us so that we might experience the forgiveness that only comes from you and you alone. And Father, I pray that if there's any here who has never experienced the forgiveness of God, who have never repented of their sins and looked to Christ and Christ alone, may today be the day that they run to Christ and find his arms open, for he is able, he is able to save. This we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.